This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Kolchak, the Night Stalker, episodes five and six. Yellowstone County, Montana, December 11th. Horrified local authorities investigated the gruesome deaths of four area residents, the Rockwell family, mother, father, and two children. All had been discovered strewn around their isolated farm, their bodies mutilated. An official coroner's report stated they had been dead three days. Cause of death, attack by wolves. Fact, the last sighting of a wolf in Yellowstone County occurred in 1948. Fact, in the entire history of this continent, there has never been one documented case of attack by wolves on a human being. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast asking you to bail us out. I'm Luke, here's my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? What's real is a little bit of wisdom I took from one of these episodes of Kolchak, and it was this. It's terrible to be broke and superstitious at the same time. There are some great lines on this show. Yeah. I think uh, I think my favorite was, don't con me, lay it on me. <laughs> I don't even remember that one. That was a good one. That was a great one. Uh, at any rate, we're back. We're back with more Kolchak. Uh, this week, we are joined by a guest. Uh, first time on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Taff. Gia, Gia. Yeah, guys, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on to talk about Kolchak. Um, here's a question for you. Go. Before I accosted you and said, hey, you want to watch this uh, weird show from the 70s? Had you ever heard yeah. of Kolchak the Night Stalker? No, hell no. This, <laughs> uh, I <laughs> didn't have a, an inkling that there would be a show as uh, as riveting and as, uh, as, as, riveting. <laughs> as, as enigmatic and as, uh, you know, spontaneous uh, in many ways as, as this show, so. Um, you know what? I'm actually thankful because I learned a lot of things behind the scenes that was uh, very um, satisfying to my nerdy palate. So yeah, yeah, I, I assume, I assume you, you mean that uh, this is a David Chase special. One of a few. Yeah, that's definitely one of the yeah. My surprise when I pulled up Wikipedia, I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> it's interesting to see like how you go from here to the Sopranos. But we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get to that. We'll get, we'll to, get that. to it. OK, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's one question we like to ask uh, first-timers on the show. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is a, a TV science fiction podcast. Is this is TV science fiction a thing that was a part of your life uh, previously, or, or is this a genre you didn't really dabble in? Oh, I, I love science fiction. Science fiction is my favorite genre, right? So whether it be TV or film, like, I'm, I'm all in, right? Um, when it gets to like the fantasy side of things, and that's when like my, my interest starts to wane. Yeah, this is where, we, then, this is where we align. <laughs> Yeah, it is, okay, good. But uh, when it comes to kind of sci-fi in this vein, almost X-Filesy slash, um, you know, Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, kind of unexplained phenomena, supernatural, but not too supernatural, or just kind of jumps the shark, I'm all in, right? Nice. Because there's that there's that intrigue, you know, like, where is this going? Okay, am I going to be surprised? Am I going to be shocked? Um, so there's a lot of elements in science fiction itself, because it also, if you get to the... You can get to the highfalutin side of things where it becomes all about like ideas and then the other end of it is just like you know shock value and just you know cool gadgets and cool things um i like to be somewhere around the middle right, right, uh, right. for me um so yeah it's interesting to kind of take cold shack and trying to figure out where on that gradient it lies where the show lives it's a good yeah, question yeah. you know so yeah that's the way i would say it well uh why don't we why don't we get moving then? You guys want to start talking about these episodes? Mm-hmm. 
Just do it. Here's the IMDb summary for episode 5, The Werewolf. Kolchak's assigned to interview singles aboard a cruise ship, but finds there's some kind of wolf creature killing passengers during the full moon. The title of this really tells you what this episode's going to be about, huh? I was surprised. I didn't they, expect that thing to come out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't really. They don't really like mess around. Where the were, the werewolf shows up, he's just there. That's like the rest of the episode. <laughs> straight into it. Yeah. Um, uh, so basically, it begins at Christmas in Chicago. The uh, newspaper office of the INS is having like a low key Christmas party um, because most of the staff are out sick with quote the Asian flu. That made me laugh so hard. It was, it was, it was so, too close to home in some ways. And just like, yeah, in so many ways. And also like just the uh, kind of... So the, racist. Yeah, just a little bit, just a tinge of racism there. It's just a little bit of 1970s racism, just for fun, you know? Yeah, you got to throw that in there to spice it up, as they say. What I liked it, what I liked is that they called it that, and I was just like, oof, not not a great naming, but I was like, mm, still still better than what Trump called it. <laughs> But that was the first thing I thought about. I'm like, okay, this is a, yeah, puts things in context. You know what's weird about this Christmas party, though, is they mentioned that you said it was a low-key Christmas party, Luke, but it's not even the higher-ups or Vincenzo, the boss, is throwing the party. They say it's courtesy of this, like, new character we never met before, the Riddle columnist, Edith Cowell. So just some employees, like, I like Christmas, I'll just pay for all this? Yeah, I guess so. Also a character they've never introduced before. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I love how they do that, where they just kind of randomly drop a character. And never really explore them even further than that. And the thing for me about that specific section was that um, it felt to me like the Christmas party, it wasn't really a Christmas party. It was like a celebration for somebody actually taking the vacation for the first yeah. time in five, in five years, which I thought was like, okay, I mean, yeah, I wish every time I went somewhere, somebody threw a party for me. Well, I think what it is, is uh, Edith was throwing a Christmas party and then Vincenzo, the editor, really commandeered it and turned it into his going into away. his own. I love that. I love that. Hey, let me ask you guys, if that was a party getting thrown for him, when you're at work, are you someone who likes when they have, you know, you know, you show up to work sometimes and people are like, hey, we decorated your desk with balloons and stuff. I lay on the, please don't, for the love of God, ever decorate my desk. But I know some people really like it. Where you guys fall? Huh. I think, uh, for yeah, no, don't touch any of my shit. Don't touch any of my shit. You don't want to show up to the kitchen and have a little cake there cut into little squares? I mean, that's different as opposed to like, you come into my desk and putting all these things that have that I'm not interested in. I don't want anything bedazzled on my, you know, I don't want my chair <laughs> wrapped up in, you know, in, in wrapping gifts or anything like that. Um, no festive mood at my desk. It's mm. all business. Um, but <laughs> it's if you all have, business. <laughs> but if you have something over, you know, at your desk in terms of food, I mean, I, I might, you know, I might join. I might commandeer as, uh, as uh, you know, you're as a real you're saying before. Yeah, I'm pretty much. That's that's, that's my uh, yeah. Live vicariously through it. But that's my answer to that. I'm going to agree with that answer. I, I do not want to be the center of attention, but I do yeah. want a slice of cake. Mm. Yeah. I desperately want a slice of cake. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess that's, that's what the scene is about, is Vincenzo is in a great mood because he's taking his first vacation in a while. And mm-hmm. what I like is this is, this is a real classic move that I approve I, I of 100%. He's basically got the New York office to pay for his vacation Appreciate by it. making it a story where he's going to take a crew, a, a swinging singles cruise and write a story about it. And so it's a business expense. So it's all, this vacation is all expenses paid. And I'm like, that's the way to take a vacation on, on the company, Don. Mm-hmm. Hustler. And how did that work out? <laughs> I don't get it very often, but man, if I can pull it off. 
Um, but of course, since this is the show called Kolchak, not Vincenzo, uh, a call comes in from the New York office to say they're actually going to send auditors over Christmas to look <laughs> over the books. So Vincenzo can't take this vacation and he's got to give it to someone else. And the only one available, not sick with this flu, is I guess Kolchak. <laughs> Which is something that we've seen a few times, which is Updike tries to get a story, but for whatever reason, he can't get it. And then Kolchak, mm-hmm. Kolchak ends up getting uh, getting the story. He gets to go on the singles cruise. So you, have you guys seen every single episode or is like... Just no, no. We are only up to the episodes we have just watched. So we've seen everything precursing this. Okay, okay, okay. So we can only answer yeah. questions backward, not forward. Not forward, okay. Good to know. We don't know if Updike dies, if that's what you're asking. We don't know. Pretty much. We don't know who dies. (laughs) From the flu? No. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I I thought it was interesting in terms of his character, like his introduction here, Kolchak's character, being this kind of aloof kind of... um, The actor actually sells this very well in terms of the absurdity of the show. He kind of grounds a little bit in terms of his performance. Like, it doesn't seem like... He's in on the joke. It's like, this is a real person for me. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting um, as I was watching it. I'm like, okay, at least there's somebody here that I can, you know, it's not a caricature to a certain extent. Yeah, um, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. Like the idea that Kolchak is the star of the show, mm-hmm. he's not, he's a hero in his own mind for sure. Mm-hmm. But he right. as a character is like a little bumbly and a little mm-hmm. foolish, but also very gung-ho. And it's just like, he feels far more, he's not like your typical just like, manly mm-hmm. hero he's far more of yes. like yeah, he's not brave no it saves the show where it could be too silly or too stupid because he's mm-hmm. always kind of grounding it somehow mm-hmm. yeah i gotta say though this free cruise is a real let down for me because when he shows up to the cruise ship and checks into his room the the announcement that he has a roommate on this cruise ship i was just like i'm out i'm like i'm not i'm, I'm off this cruise ship <laughs> that threw me off that threw me off. You guys don't want a room with Mel Tarter? <laughs> I loved his giant key necklace. It's like his open shirt with a necklace, and it's just a huge key hanging on his chest. <laughs> I think he uses that as a pickup line. That was my guess. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. He has it around just in case. Just in case he sees a lady he likes, he's like, all right, time for the key joke. <laughs> She's I, eventually going to ask him about it. Yeah. It's like, why do you have this thing around your neck? Yeah. I gotta say, the only thing that makes it worse having a roommate is having a roommate on a swinging singles cruise. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> melt harder get it together did you, so we introduce him did you catch he gives uh kolchak like the lay of the land he gives him the percentages of what he can expect from the people out there did you write it down no i didn't did you write down the yeah, percentages yeah. of the people on the show yeah you know he said what he said to him he goes uh hey just so you know kolchak 40 percent of the people here are divorced 50 percent deceased and 10 percent delightful <laughs> that's a low percentage of delightful people. i agree also, when he said 50% are deceased, I know he must mean like, the, you know, there's, you know, it's a metaphorical no pulse, but wouldn't it be something, I mean, after this episode and all this mayhem that happens, it might be pretty close to 50% deceased. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would agree. The The body count on this is pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. But essentially, like, Mel's like, they're really establishing what a sing, swing single screws. He's already met a lady who, who shows up in his room at a, in a bikini, mm-hmm. and they're already trying to set old Kolchak up with uh, with this woman named Paula, who they found. They're just like, man, oh man, you gotta get out there, you gotta swing. Mm-hmm. Although I gotta say, there's a big reveal then, like, Mel is always hanging out with this woman Wendy. who he seems to have picked up on the ship. What's her name? Wendy. Wendy. Mm-hmm. And near the end of the episode... 
there's a big reveal where him and Wendy are telling Coljack, don't don't get married. It's not worth it. We've both been married to each other. Each other. And there's this like weird ending where you're just like these two characters who didn't really get to know or spend much time with. They're just like, oh, FYI, we were previously married. We're now divorced, but we love each other more as divorcees. And I'm just like, there's so much more I need to know now about this couple. <laughs> spinoff. This would be an interesting spinoff character, I feel. It was it was such a weird turn of events, um, but essentially what kind of happens is uh, Kolchak goes off. He meets this Paul woman, and um, she's he's not into her because she's really into movies for some reason. Like her whole character is just like I love movies. I know all of them. And can I say one thing, Luke? Did you notice who that actress was? I did notice who Paula was. We actually, Taff, this is really news to you, but we just mm-hmm. watched her in a different show called Super Train where she was a series regular. Yeah. Oh, wow. So okay. two shows in a row, this actress I've never seen before. Sure, pops up. She, she really, uh, really was great at being in series that only lasted one season. <laughs> She's pretty good in this episode. I got to admit, I, agree. I thought she would be uh, yeah. weird to watch. I was like, oh, I, I kind of like this woman who just loves movies. <laughs> But the whole point of this is Kolchak goes, he meets her. He's not really into it. He's, he actually really feels like he's there to write a story. He does not want to mm-hmm. be doing this. And as he's being forced to talk to this Paul woman, and like a foghorn goes up, goes off, and like all the crew get up in the dining room, start wandering out, and Kolchak, like, because mm-hmm. he's a he's a newspaper man, he smells a story, mm-hmm. and uh, that story is that a man named I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this for sure mm-hmm. a um, a man named Mister Steiglitz, who's a I guess a maybe former nato person maybe he's just on the run from nato he's mm-hmm. he's also boarded a cruise ship with a wound on his arm that will not heal <laughs> and of course that wound is i guess a werewolf bite and there's something that i thought was funny and maybe it's only funny to me but so yeah they, they say that he worked for nato mm-hmm. but then they mentioned that he was discharged from their navy and the first thing i thought was well nato doesn't have a navy, doesn't have a navy. they're like that an works. intergovernmental military alliance <laughs> So it was one of these weird little things where I was like, did no one do any proof checking? There's no, there's no Navy for NATO. Anyways, but the point is he's like, they had to have this character be able to be in multiple places around the world in a short amount of time. That's really what they need that he answered like, oh, well, he's a sailor of some sorts. Yeah. Yeah. When they reveal his backstory that he was a NATO in, I believe, Greenland or Iceland at a radar station. Yeah. And somewhere, so I guess we're supposed to think there he got bit by a werewolf, murdered the other people on his team, then somehow flew to yeah. Yellowstone, and then murdered a family five as a werewolf. Yeah. And now uh, he's on the ship. And then somehow gets on a cruise ship, which I will say, I'll give the, the big point I'm going to give to this episode, which can be a little <laughs> choosy this episode, is that I have never seen an ep- I've never seen a werewolf on a cruise ship plotline before. And honestly, I like I like the idea of a werewolf on a cruise ship. It's a very funny idea. Yeah. The one thing that kind of disappointed me about this episode, and there's some things I like about it, but I think the whole point of having them on a cruise ship is that you're stuck and you can't get off, right? You have this mm-hmm. uh, this this creature, this force that's going to be slowly picking people off. But they, they didn't do a very good job of any sort of tension. Do you know what I mean? Like for the amount of, we mentioned it, the amount of people that die in the body count is pretty huge. There's, it's mm-hmm. all still kind of light and fluffy, and mm-hmm. I don't know if they ever even really explain why the people on the ship react the way they do to this, these clear murders, right? Well, they just step on the gas immediately because this guy, like that first night, like Kolchak's been on the ship for under five minutes of episode time. <laughs> yeah. It's the first night, the full moon comes out, and it's just like a werewolf massacre immediately begins. Like yeah. we see the werewolf 
stalking the ship. He finds some woman walking back from, I guess, a casino that's on the ship. He picks her up, just tosses her overboard. Then he heads up to the bridge where, like, the night the night shift is working the bridge crew. He goes in there, slaughters every single human being in that room. No, I think that was uh, one of my kind of gripes about this was just, uh, yeah, there's, abs- there's absolutely no attention, right? Um, it's not really scary. I mean, it's a werewolf. So you want to, to a certain extent, you want to engage in the cliches a little bit, um, start kind of, you know, laying the, you know, maybe some dramatic irony there where we know the werewolf is on, Kolchak doesn't know. And, you know, there are basically two ships passing in the night. Sorry for the pun. Um, <laughs> but do, so do you, do you think it's a structural issue then? Do you think if this was more of a mystery of him finding out who the werewolf is? Because pretty much the show lets you know right away. Like you introduce to the guy yeah. who's got wounds and you they basically are, are telling you that's not what this episode is going to be about. It's about, you know, watching him kind of discover it. But do you think it would have changed the tension if the audience did Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Or kind of shroud in a little bit more mystery. Because one just the way they did the werewolf and kind of the way the killings were done was somewhat cheap in terms of like, you can see that the budget for this episode was not that high, right? It's a yeah. single location. Hold on, you don't you like know, the you're... werewolf's professional wrestling throwing people over his head move? <laughs> I mean, throwing the, 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 the dummy over yeah. his head? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not particularly for this uh, for this one, but it's that Jaws principle, right? Like it works better when you actually don't see the, you don't see the shark, right? I mean... You gotta admit the makeup on this werewolf is some of the worst werewolf makeup you've ever seen. That's what I'm saying. It's like as I'm looking at this werewolf, I'm like, this is not a particularly scary. scary Was werewolf, I wrong? Right? Did they give him some sort of like dog nose, like like almost like a, like a red clown nose, but instead it was like it was a really dark brown or black nose? I don't know. I never got yeah. a great look at him. It just looked like they had glued a rug to his face. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. No. I, here's, I mean, I agree with all what you're saying. This is not a very well-structured or tension-run episode. The thing I kind of enjoyed was that, like, we see this bridge crew get killed. Kolchak follows the uh, follows the crew off. You know, they won't let him in the crime scene. But he turns around, and, like, the werewolf is still, like, on a rampage. Like, the passengers right. are apparently all in the dining hall having a nice time. But the entire crew of the ship, which seems to be hundreds of people is literally being massacred around every corner. There's just gunfire everywhere. I'm just like, <laughs> there's a war zone happening on this ship that culture is just wandering through. I'm like, how many people is this werewolf killing? Like, it's so many people. Well, that's what I mean. At a certain point, like, there's this weird, uh, and it's odd to say it in a uh, werewolf episode, but there's a suspension of disbelief that you have to have mm-hmm. about this crew because in a lot of these episodes we've seen at this point, the police are sort of shown to be sort of distrustful or... Mm-hmm. They want to cover things up all the time. Uh, or we've also had, I think, maybe FBI agents that want to cover things up. But I don't right. I don't know why this bridge crew would have, it, yeah. you know, what, what, what the reason was. But they just sort of have any sort of person of authority has to kind of clash with Kolchak. So they'd be like, get out of here. You're annoying. It's like, mm-hmm. but they must want to stop these murders. Because again, like, I don't know, 50 people die in this? Well, I think what it is is uh, what we'll see is Kolchak will do a distraction. He'll get like mm-hmm. apparently the cruise line when they get word of this murderer on the like. Keep in mind the murderer is currently on the loose. He's been on the loose for 25 minutes. The radio mm-hmm. guy calls ha- calls headquarters and the cruise line tells him, "Hey, listen, we're gonna we're apparently they're looking into every all the passengers, police and psychi- psychiatric profiles, but it's gonna take mm-hmm. 36 hours. So until then, they just want the crew to keep everyone secure and silent." <laughs> Like, I, the idea that the cruise line and the, like, underpaid staff of the cruise line are willing to cover up a, like, 
ongoing <laughs> murder spree yeah, is yeah. very funny to me. Like, how much are they getting paid for that? Well, and again, it, like, what would make sense is to have everyone locked in their rooms. And I know that makes for right. maybe more issues yeah. with the, the plot than, than uh, the they were wanted to bother with. But it's one of those things where it's like, this logically doesn't make any sense. No, no. I mean, I think... After he finds this out, he then follows more crew members to, like, there, four Four of the passengers go to the, like, break into the, mm-hmm. like, closed pool, which is closed for renovations. The, mm-hmm. That's where the werewolf, like, WWE murders them. Kolchak <laughs> <laughs> and the crew arrive, and you're like, oh, they're going to discover the bodies. But not only do they discover the bodies, the werewolf is still there, and he, the werewolf yeah. starts tearing the crew to pieces. And, like, Kolchak's knocked unconscious, and that's the only reason we wake up the next day. Which is the funniest way to get knocked out. Right. As I was watching that, it was just like, oh, he just like slowly and gently just rolls down on the floor and then boom, he's gone. Yeah, and the next Kolchak is in his like late 50s. He can't do stunts. It was so funny. And then he wakes up the next day. He's got the ice pack on his head and the bandages. Um, I love that. That was fun. Also, this uh, bridge crew has uh, quite a lot of ammo, huh? Mm. <laughs> they're prepared for anything yeah i don't know if yeah. many cruise lines are are have semi-automatic weapons but these guys sure do <laughs> i wonder they say that this is the last the last like journey of this cruise ship because mm-hmm. it's been in it's been in service for so long they even talk about how mm-hmm. it it like survived u-boats in world war ii so i wonder if the idea is, <laughs> yeah. this is just like this is an old cruise ship that's just like ready for world war ii yeah that's funny it was such a period of time, too, the idea that, like, a ship you're on was, like, also part of World War II. I'm just like, whoa, what a weird time where that could be possible. <laughs> but essentially, yes, uh, Kolchak wakes up. He was injured overnight. And he basically, uh, this Mr. Steiglitz character has turned back into a human. He's there to see the doctor. And uh, Kolchak gets to overhear their conversation, which when it was crazy, I'm just like, this man has traveled the world. And he's seeking medical advice from the ship's doctor on mm-hmm. his, like, unhealing wound. He has, like, mm-hmm. nightmares and blackout spells. I was just like, have you not talked to any other doctors? I guess he has, but he just doesn't like being told that he needs psychiatric help. Wasn't he also trying to get some morphine? Wasn't he trying to get some kind of, some kind of, some uh, some pain, some painkillers, right? Yeah, so I yeah, wonder yeah. if that was the purpose for it. I don't know why I'm getting too deep into, like, the motivations of <laughs> some of these characters. It's this weird idea. You don't ever get to say, like, he seems angry and unhappy with mm-hmm. anyone he talks to, but he also seems mm-hmm. to want to get, like, he wants narcotics, and later he'll give him, he'll, like, steal narcotics, shoot himself mm-hmm. up, and then chain himself to the bed. Right. So you right. get the sense he knows he turns into a werewolf, werewolf. and he doesn't want to, but he also <laughs> won't, like, he he's also very angry at anyone who tries to help him. Yeah. I don't think he knows he's he becomes a werewolf. I think he knows during his blackouts he's doing stuff that he doesn't you know that he's like he's clearly injured himself and i think he knows he's creating some sort of mayhem but i don't know if he specifically knows mm-hmm. he's a werewolf right not that right. it matters right i mean i guess it would to a certain extent matter um but i wonder also if he wakes up and you know the result of his um you know the mayhem that he partook in the night before is you know strewn around him right does he does he wake up with a bunch of dead people once in a while you know like to what extent is that, he... I mean, he must because he's now killed five people in, mm. in Greenland or whatever, mm-hmm. like another mm-hmm. family of five mm-hmm. in Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. He he seems mm-hmm. to be aware that he's done that. And yeah. he, he actively chooses to just take a singles cruise. Which is a matter of question. Like, yeah. Well, you know what it was? He was like, okay, there's a good chance there's going to be a full moon and I might kill people. But there's also mm-hmm. a good chance there'll be some pretty ladies on this singles cruise. So eh, I think I'll chance it. <laughs> 
And I mean, as always with these things, which is what you're talking about, Jordan, why, like this one thing that doesn't quite make sense, like mm -hmm. Kolchak's always butting up against authority, but there's a scene where he's like, after he wakes up from his coma, he's dragged to the captain and the captain's like, I'll put you in irons if you, if you keep trying to report on this story. <laughs> and it is just like, you're just like, my man, what, like, what do you care so much about this guy trying to like look into this like murder spree happening on your show? Well, there was yeah. a little bit of a, maybe a slightly more subtle turn they could have had there where the captain mm -hmm. was like, look, I need, I know you need to write a story. You can write your story, but can you make it a, a version, something different than what's happening and I'll let you have access. I think there was something they could do there, but because this episode mm -hmm. in particular has to move at such a clip for some reason that they just don't have time for that. They have to have four different scenes of the werewolf mauling people. So there's no time for, I don't know, mm -hmm. there's no time for that sort of anything like that. And he also needs uh, somebody to butt against, right? He always needs that kind of, that, I guess, moments of conflict with other characters because all the other ones are pretty much like comedic, just comedic relief. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. I wonder if, if, if this captain is just the, you know, the analog to the police officer um, who's constantly trying to kick him off the crime scene, right? Um, regardless of how legitimate the captain has authority, always, you know, citing uh, the rule book and article, whatever. Um, I wonder if in the writer's mind, David Chase, uh, let me bring you in here. I'm, I'm thinking in, in, a, in your, uh, um, your MO here, um, if ultimately that's what it was, just we need more conflict in this scene. How can we kind of galvanize a little bit of um, conflict between these two characters? Yeah, I mean, that's the story engine. You need some authority to stand in the mm -hmm. way. And, and in this one, the only option was captain of cruise ship. Mm hmm. But how great would it have been if we find out at a certain point it's not Stieglitz and he thinks he's the werewolf? You know, he's mm -hmm. drugging himself up, he's chaining himself up, and then it ends up being Mel or something, you know? <laughs> Mel Tarter. That yeah. Uh, sure, I mean, that would be better, a little yeah, twist in here. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is not about twists, though. No, it's, it's about not. a straightforward werewolf. It's attack. about a werewolf <laughs> on, a, on a cruise ship. It's about werewolf body slams. Taff, you mentioned how it's like obviously quite low budget, so it, like dummies are getting thrown around. People are just basically getting pushed by the werewolf. That's how they die by getting pushed yeah. in. Yeah. At some point, though, Kolchak comes in and describes what he's seen at the werewolf attacks, as which is yeah. a completely different TV show. He's <laughs> just like limbs ripped, ripped <laughs> arm from arm. Like there's just blood yeah. everywhere. I'm just like, and I'm just like, man, oh man, you guys like what you wanted and what you got. There's like a vast, totally a vast yeah. gap between these. Yeah, they're definitely punching way above their weight. But that's not to say that they wouldn't be um, good, you know, lightweight fighters as opposed to fighting a heavyweight. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you, this show could have been a, um, you know, Manny Pacquiao or a uh, Floyd Mayweather as opposed to trying to be like a Tyson Fury or a Mike Tyson or trying to fight a Mike Tyson as a Mayweather. Right. <laughs> because um, I feel like a lot of the elements are there. But if they didn't punch above their weight. Um, budget-wise, they could have actually told a really great story. The way even that Jordan just kind of pitched, right? Of like, what if the twist is that it's not him as a werewolf; it's somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they play in with that uh, the the restrictions that they've already made for themselves, which is Absolutely. on a cruise ship. There's not a lot Absolutely. of room to play with, right? You only have some hallways. That was the thing for me again, and I mentioned it earlier. I was really yeah. surprised at how little they used the cruise ship because the cruise ship looks great. Yeah. But it was like yeah. they I think they just thought it would be better to have like people the like werewolf. the werewolf climbing up whatever the steeple is on the boat. I don't know what it's called. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That sort of stuff yeah. as opposed to I think the inherent tension of tight mm -hmm, tight spaces. hallways where you can't get mm -hmm. out. Yeah. I agree. 
Yeah, that's not the case. Although I do like when the werewolf climbed that big tower on the ship whenever I get a steam stack or something. Got, I, like, there's no reason for him to. People are shooting at him. He gets to the top. There's nowhere to go. So he just grabs all. He grabs a rope and just zip lines down. I'm like, yeah, werewolf zip line. All right, great. Yeah, it's like I was a pirate. What I loved also about that is like everybody there with a gun went to the uh, storm shoot, stormtrooper school of shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was shooting at this werewolf, and everybody missed. Well, that and there was, was like my question. six people with guns. Were they missing, or was it just that they had no effect because they weren't silver bullets? I think it's a little of both. Yeah, they're they're also clearly bad shots because you can see the you can see the like squibs going off all around the werewolf. And is that Kolchak at that point had the, actually we're probably going ahead here. No, no, it's fine. I was actually going to say, like, Kolchak yeah. obviously very quickly is just like, it's a werewolf. Like, yeah. I've seen the photos I took. It's a werewolf. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, I got to make some silver bullets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. Kolchak doesn't know how to fight a werewolf, but he just asks Paula the movie nut, and she's just like, in the movies, silver bullets, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and they talk to a character who we're not going to cover a lot because he's barely in it, but there's this, like, old purser who works on the ship who I guess is supposed to be, like, a, a like passenger liaison but every time yeah. you meet him, he's just like, he's like a character on MASH. He's trying to, he's like Klinger on MASH. He's trying to hustle you up some sort of like, uh, he's like, I got a camera lens. I've scraped the serial number off. If you want to buy that for 50 bucks kind of guy, like he's stealing and he's, he's wheeling and dealing. And yeah. Kolchak goes to him to get some silver. And the guy's like, listen, there's no silver on this ship. No pure silver, except for the captain's buttons. Which is just like leads us to another confrontation with the captain, where where Kolchak will break in, and that's not the first time we've seen Kolchak break into a place and hide in a closet. But once more he does, <laughs> he steals the captain's silver buttons, has a bit of a conflict where he where the captain shows a little more nuance in this scene where they argue about the werewolf, and the captain mm. seems willing to admit there's clearly a werewolf on the ship, and like even like floats the idea as like how can we get the ship to like outrun the full moon. But it's it's a very minor scene where we where it's the essential idea is it's to get the buttons. Yeah, he's got to get these buttons. He then goes back to his room and using a blowtorch and some like love just pots, he melts he melts the buttons down to like a liquid silver. His old pal, his old roommate Mel Tarter goes. He's like Mel, I need I need a priest to say a Latin prayer over this silk <laughs> pot of melting silver. And uh, Mel's just like, listen, there's this guy who flunked out of the cemetery a seminary school on the ship i can get him to come down here if you like my my favorite part about that whole thing was like he's making the silver bullets you know he's got the blowtorch he's got everything so you assume this is like you know this is a dangerous element here so he's got to cool it down he's got to cool the bullet down so he can put it in the cartridge <laughs> right and then he takes the togs and takes the bullet and puts it in a cup of water yeah and nothing happens <laughs> it's like there's no, no history no no evaporation no it's like yeah it's like what was the director's intention of that? Like, what were you trying to do? So th- those are like symptoms of things across the board that I think took me away from the story where it's just like, okay, this is just ridiculous. Like I have no, like you're not you, you just, you, you're not yeah, you, at this point, you're just, at this point, you're just being lazy, right. Or not being focused on detail, but that's just, that was the only moment where I was a little concerned. They were very obsessed with like the logistics of making silver bullets. Like after the pre, after the seminary flunk out comes yeah. in and like blesses it with one of the two Latin prayers he knows. He's like, he knows. I can do a wedding prayer or I can do a death prayer. Which one you want? <laughs> but that's right. Like he's he's basically putting silver, which I thought mm-hmm. was good. I thought he was gonna make silver bullets, but he actually is just pouring them into shotgun shells, which I was right. like, that makes more sense. Uh, yeah, just yeah. pour into a shotgun shell mm-hmm. and. He heads out to hunt the werewolf down, and there's just a long sequence of Kolchak walking around the ship with a shotgun, and the werewolf 
just walking around. I think he kills Mel Tartar at some point during that. Yeah, I don't remember if he does or not. I think he walks past and he oh, sees you're Mel right, Tartar he does. laying on the That's ground right. dead. <laughs> Which I always felt bad. I'm like, poor Mel. Poor Mel. But it just is a long sequence of like, Kolchak and the werewolf stalking each other. Like, I think it goes on for like five minutes of them just walking around the ship. Kolchak, like, ends up shooting the werewolf twice with silver bullets, which does injure the werewolf, but does not kill the werewolf in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) And the big climax Uh, is, like, the werewolf, like, pushes Kolchak off the side of the ship, but as Kolchak's holding onto the ledge, he, like, manages to turn the tables and flip the flip the werewolf into the sea. Oh, you, you, you got to explain that even more. Just the way... Just I, the I one didn't th- understand how it worked. I didn't understand how any of it happened. <laughs> the physics of that were just so hilarious. It was staged poorly, so... It, right. It, maybe it would be more convincing in 1974, but basically it's that thing you've seen in TV and movies a lot of time where the hero's hanging over the edge and the villain is over top of them and he somehow grabs and pulls the guy over over his shoulders into the water but it doesn't the way they've choreographed it it doesn't yeah. look like that at all looks like the guy was on cables yeah <laughs> uh, or, or or superhuman one arm strength and able to kind of hold his whole body as he's grabbing somebody else and tossing them over and him not actually falling in but anyway yeah, it's yeah, yeah. a pedant but <laughs> that was another moment where i was like oh Okay. It should have been one of those where they both fall over and you think yeah. they've both died and then you see that Kolchak's, you know, caught Hung his on. caught his pants on a line or something. But again, exactly. I think it's what you mentioned before. They don't have the time or the money to stage mm-hmm. such an elaborate uh, sort no. of uh, choreographed scene. So it's like, mm-hmm. hey, uh, he just grabs it with his one arm and throws him over and then he's in the water. Right. Done. Yeah. I wonder if that's the case. I wonder if they're like, you could, you could have this cruise ship for three days and they're like, all right, run. We're going to shoot this whole episode in three days. Well, I think that's probably it because I was uh, watching, as I said, because David Chase is involved in this. I was watching some interviews with him, and he said they shot this in like seven days. Oh wow! So David Chase is on interviews about Kolchak. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I Kolchak and David Chase, and he he didn't have a lot of good things to say, mainly because of just the budget constraints as well as the fact they were just going fast, seven days. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like you said, Jordan, it's like they didn't have time to properly stage and you know set everything up to make it feel real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels rushed. It feels like they had to hurry. They only could shoot so many places. And what do you do? I did like the coda. Like each of these episodes ends with a coda, where basically it's a it's a monologue from Kolchak, kind of giving right. you a some closure on the episode. And right. I particularly like the closure on this one because he says, "Well, Vincenzo won't let me write the story about the werewolf on the cruise ship because the cruise ship threatened a lawsuit. So uh, the sto- once mm-hmm. again, Kolchak's story is quashed." Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say he explains that. Only 11 crew and four passengers died. And I, I will tell you, we saw on camera six passengers die. So I know for sure six passengers died. But That's then he funny. continues to say, it's like, beyond the people who died, there were so many people injured that, like, they can't count the number of injuries. And every single one of them had to be transported to Switzerland because they all now have a, quote-unquote, rare blood disorder. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. ship, at least 50,000, I think, werewolves are created. That's something crazy. Bare minimum. <laughs> you know, the whole thing of, like, he gets his story squashed because of outside forces. Okay, but it's like, but then you guys also added this thing that all these werewolves have been made and are running around, uh, uh, running around somewhere in Northern Europe. It's like, Okay, I don't know if those... I mean, someone's going to write a story now. <laughs> so my question for you guys is, do you think these, or the writers or the producers, etc., are making this show knowing full well the plot holes, kind of the the quirkiness, and just are they winking at us, the audience member, or is it the latter, 
they're just oblivious at how their attempts of making kind of serious fare is just backfiring. I think it's somewhere between those, because from what I understand is the lead character, Darren McGavin, who plays this character, who plays Kolchak, who he was apparently, he was very invested in this series. Like he quite liked it. And yeah. what, from what we've read, and part of the reason it ended is he ended up doing a lot of the producing work himself. And he was like doing rewrites, I think, with David Chase as they were like, like they'd get a script in and then the two of them like would try to fix it. Right. So I think at times, like I think in this episode, you can tell it's not a very well-written script and you can see that David Chase was just the story editor on the series, but he gets a mm-hmm. co-writer credit. So you get the right. sense that they got a script in and then it was just an attempt to fix it. And I think mm-hmm. the fixes on this were like, try to make it a little funnier, try to make it a little mm-hmm. less serious mm-hmm. because it doesn't work, right? Right. And yeah. so I wonder too, I actually wonder, because there's this whole idea at the end, it's just like, we've now sent like, 5,000 crew, or like, not that, that's too many, but like, let's say yeah, 50 yeah. people are now werewolves and we're sending them to Switzerland. And I'm like, is this idea that like, a, they've now like, all these people have like caught werewolf disease. Is uh-huh. that the whole reason we had an opening about the staff catching the flu? Like, is that's, were they trying to create that, some sort of parallel that yes. they never quite landed? That's where my question was coming from. And I, I feel like that would have come together in like a desperate rewrite attempt later. Right. Because then it goes into the kind of like the Twilight Zone world, right? Of these are just parables or um, analogs to what's happening in the real world. And we're talking about serious issues <laughs> versus uh, werewolf pile driving <laughs> and doing the rock bottom on people on a boat somewhere out in the ocean. I'll say, though, to be fair to Kolchak, I think this is one of the weaker episodes that we've right, seen right. of of the six. For and we'll sure. talk about another one in a minute. But it's one of the weaker ones. Just for whatever reason, the tone didn't quite mm-hmm. didn't quite work as well uh, with the story as well as maybe some previous episodes. I will say right. this, too. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to move forward from this because up till now, Taff, the episodes up until now have either been called, like, The Ripper, which is about Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. or The Vampire, which is about a vampire, mm-hmm. or... The werewolf, which is about a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And I think they've kind of run out of uh, your stock monsters now. So yeah, right. even as we'll see in the next episode, we're kind of at least going into new mm-hmm. kinds of monsters in this next episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I think to your point, Luke, I think this show works better when there is a, a somewhat more nebulous creature or problem mm-hmm. that he's dealing with. I just mm-hmm. think it, it plays better to the show's strengths, but which maybe is a good lead to the next episode. All right. Yeah. Here is the IMDb summary for episode six, Firefall. Remember the penny arcades that used to be so much fun when you were a kid? For a handful of coins, you could test your strength, your skill at a pinball machine. Those arcades were a lot of things to a lot of kids. But there was one particular arcade that represented something special for me. It was here that began one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. The evil spirit of the murdered gangster who loved classical music, is somehow incinerating his former enemies while simultaneously trying to take to live again. There's a lot going on in this episode, huh? A lot yeah, of uh, a yeah. lot of jumps you need to get to connect all this. But I think it does a much better job than the previous episode, especially for yeah. how much more complicated mm-hmm. this uh, this episode is than the previous one. It's very unique in terms of like the mishmash of all these kind of super supernatural elements. So it got me really intrigued at the beginning because I'm like, oh, this is different, right? It's not like somebody getting murdered. It's somebody being incinerated or some kind of combustion. So I thought that was really interesting to start it off. Yeah, it's a little fresh with this one. I mean, I know when it opened up, the monologue Kolchak gives this time to start the episode. I think it must have made Jordan very nostalgic 
when he was saying, <laughs> remember the penny arcades that you used to go to as a kid? I was just seeing Jordan at home thinking back to the 1920s and going to penny arcades. I love those penny arcades. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a it was an interesting beginning because like we start off at an arcade where like they're like oh there's a, a, an arcade where like shady shading dealings happen but it's also like people playing pinball and like uh 70s arcades uh, arcade consoles well if you're doing like drug deals and stuff you also want to have a good time while you're there you gotta have a good time and at there there's a, there's a i guess an arsonist for the mob who's also happens to be one of the best pinball players around. I believe. I believe the owner of the, uh, the arcade will later compare him to the Jim Thorpe of pinball. <laughs> and he's there playing the arcade. And I guess. I guess he's. He's the mob is done with his services. He's double. He's. He's crossed the mob in some way. This arsonist and uh, a bunch of guys just come in and gun him down as he plays pinball. It's a rubbed out. Just rubbed out. And it's such a cold open that we won't come back to for so, so long. But I'm just like, <laughs> what a crazy opening about the mob hit at a pinball's place. And now, like, I forget about it for, like, 45 minutes. You know what, though? Th- this this episode does do that. It, it asks more of the viewer to be able to remember right. things from the beginning. Because you are sort mm-hmm. of have to keep that in the back of your mind that this thing mm-hmm. happened to the pinball, uh, not pinball, arcade and so it might be important. And then the next scene, which you're going to see, which is, it seems like an innocuous scene, which is we meet this character named Ryder Bond, who's this sort of like mm-hmm. uh, mid-50s gentleman, kind of uh, gray, you know. Gray beard. Uh, gray beard and hair. And he's uh, being driven in a car, and, and Kolchak narrates that he needs to be really punctual. And to the way they visually show that is that he's late. So I guess, I don't even think we have him say it, but they imply that he sort of gets his driver to cut through a funeral procession so he can get to where he's going faster. He sort of cuts off the cars. But it happens very fast. And again, there's another scene you're like, okay, you need to make note of that. There's a reason that we've seen this scene, even though it doesn't seem like it adds up to much at the time. Yeah, you won't get explanations for any of this until very late in the episode. And this is, of course, followed up by the like second, more, more mysterious death of the episode, is the first violinist for the Great Lakes Symphony has just laid down for his, quote, pre-concert nap, which we all knew. <laughs> yeah, it's George Mason is his name. And uh, as soon as he does, big puffs of smoke fill the bedroom. And as the, uh, the puffs dissipate, he's now just a charred corpse. Yeah. I love this. You know what? The actual effect of the uh, the burning is, you know, it is what it is. It's 1970s. But I actually thought the look of the um, charred body and the charred uh, remains on the bed mm-hmm. or wherever it is, I thought that looked pretty good. Yeah. It was border, not quite night and day between this and the werewolf episode, but the, uh, the effects and the horror elements of this episode are much like the charred really corpses better. look gross right. in a way you mm-hmm. want them to look gross like mm-hmm. it for a spontaneous combustion episode you're like yeah this is this is this is all right yeah oh and there's one thing i don't know if, if uh you mentioned luke and that before we see this guy burn we see this weird sort of like really quick flicker of rider who we've seen but who you see in the car we see him like mm-hmm. he's a ghost sort of like mm-hmm. just appears for a second and then the guy burns yeah, and he also appears in the hallway to this guy's neighbor who's walking her dog. Like it's yeah. essentially we're seeing what appears to be an apparition or a ghost of this this famous conductor slash mm-hmm. uh, composer writer Bond. But he mm-hmm. like is he a ghost? What's going on? We ju- like we're gonna see him in a second, and he's he's also clearly very much alive. So that's the big mystery: is just like why are people spontaneously combusting with this man kind of appearing as an apparition before them? Mm-hmm. Which is what I was missing from the um, prior episode that we talked about. Not that I needed an apparition, but um, uh, I needed more elements of mystery because then you have no idea what's happening here. It's just like they're laying all the, putting all the seeds down, right? 
that will eventually lead to the revelation later on. We can talk about that when we get there. But I found it to be way more intriguing in that sense because um, you have all these balls in the air and you're not sure where they're going to land. But the way that they're, you know, like the, the craft, I mean, there's not a lot of action here, right? It's just purely trying to understand the strange elements of this, these people dying. So I found that to be really uh, interesting and captivating as, as, a, as a way yeah, to Yeah, I thought out, the so. hook to this episode was much better. I, w- I was also just I'm like, I don't know what is happening, but I am interested yeah, to find I, out in, what it is. I'm in for it, yeah. I like at this next scene where Kolchak goes, I think he comes to see the remains of the person who looks like he's spontaneously combusted. And he goes to the police, mm-hmm. he's like, how would you explain this? Like, why is this happening? And the cop's just like, mm-hmm. hey, he dropped a cigarette on himself. <laughs> Classic <laughs> yeah, cigarette in bed. Well, I, I just, I love that we've seen it before, though. The cops in this are not only sort of dismissive of him, but they always just seem to want to get to whatever the quickest answer is, even though answer. it doesn't really logically make sense. He's just like, we're closing this case. The guy accidentally burned himself with a cigarette, even though, like, no one would think that would be possible. I think the cops and how dismissive they are in the show works far better. Like, it, it just didn't work when it was in the cruise ship. But as soon as mm-hmm. the cops start doing it, I'm just like, of course, these, these lazy cops trying to cover up, trying to just get this, mm-hmm. this case closed. Closed, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he shows up at the crime scene, kind of hears the uh, neighbors, uh, the neighbor who witnessed Ryder Vaughn's spirit or whatever appearing before her. So he's right. like, oh, that's weird. I, I, and this guy worked at the symphony. So he races over to talk to Ryder Bond at the symphony, who's getting ready to do a concert. And uh, Ryder's like, it's a shock to him to hear that his, he seems genuinely shocked that his violinist is dead, has not heard about it at all. And I like that there's this brief moment where they introduce her for later, but he's like, his French girlfriend who doesn't speak is sitting in the room. And uh, if Kolchak tries to talk to her, he just yells at her, Silene, don't speak. (laughs) (laughs) This weird French girlfriend. And then uh, a stagehand comes in and he's just like, Mr. Bond, I, uh, I, you never, you never responded to that message I gave you down in the orchestra pit 15 minutes ago, and um, this is where Ryder's like, I, I've been in my, I've been in my dressing room for the last two hours. I was never in the orchestra pit, and uh, this, you know, sparks Kolchak's attention of just like, hmm, another mysterious appearance of this conductor mm-hmm. in a place he shouldn't have been. And I think it is a pretty good mystery at this point, mm-hmm. though, because we do have. Right. There's people are burning. There might be a ghost. They also mm-hmm. might have this guy who seems to be in two places at once. At once. And, and and all of these things don't really seem to add up too much together. Oh, also, there's a mob hit at the beginning. You're like, how does this all work? And again, not to sell, spoil things, but I think the show does a good job at tying it all together by the end. And in terms of the mystery aspect of it as well, I think that um, for me, as uh, you know, as that hand comes in and basically reveals that Bond could have been in two places at once, for me, it wasn't even about you know the doppelganger or the you know apparition. It was more like, okay, this guy might be lying. Yeah. Right. So it's almost like any procedural show. It's like somebody's lying to kind of hide what they might have been involved with uh, in the past. Right. And the fact that this guy is so indignant about like silence, don't talk, like, let me handle this. He's trying to keep the story straight. So that adds to the mystery element of it. And I think it's really good screenwriting. Yeah. They really let enough threads hang that you could pull on that could go many mm-hmm. different ways at this point. So it really did feel like I, this could go several ways. I was excited to see which way it would go. Um, yeah. I'm going to just mention this very briefly. It's not important for the plot, but there's there's this weird scene that I kind of enjoyed where it's just sort of establishing more of what happens at the office. Like, we've been wanting them to kind of establish the office set because it has this workplace element that they haven't been using. And they don't do it perfectly here, but Kolchak does go back to the office, and it's just a classic scene where he's supposed to be writing a story on uh, some sort of, like, homeowner swindle and fraud story. And um, when 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 his editor Vincenzo catches him just staring off into the middle distance, he's like, oh, I'm just I'm just... 
I'm just puzzling over this uh, a mystery about this guy who burnt up. And I love Vincenzo. I love just yells over. He's just like, well, puzzle on your own time. Get back to to work. And it's just this idea that like Vincenzo actually was the one who was swindled out of a fumigation scam at his house. (laughs) And just this like weird comic scene where Vincenzo is just like mad at him for not doing his job. And then like Updike comes into it because he hears there's like a story about the orchestra. And he's just like, if there's a story about the orchestra, I'm quite musical. I play the French horn. (laughs) <laughs> to which Kolchak responds just like, I might have guessed that. And I'm just like, what what is that joke? What does that mean? Yeah, I guess you play the French horn. Like, there's just whole weird scenes at this office in this episode. And what I loved about that is that it actually grounds it more into, like, into things that are, um, it, it makes it feel more real. And it connects it to other shows that I've seen, particularly the, uh, like the police procedural, right? You have the bullpen sequence usually where the police officers are just bantering back and forth. That has really nothing to do with the plot, but it makes this place lived in, uh, makes it feel real. And that suspension of disbelief is not as um, is not as rattled, right? It's like, it's like, okay, this is a story about real people who just happen to deal with some supernatural elements. So for me, it kind of sold it for me, that specific scene. So I wish there were elements like that. Um, not just at the beginning of the last episode that we watched, but somewhat kind of interspersed throughout as we're kind of going to solve yeah. this uh, mystery. The workplace stuff works well. Like later in the episode, he'll be back there stealing $200 out of uh, mm-hmm. Vincenzo's desk, out of his petty cash box. And uh, what's her name? Mm-hmm. Monique Mar- Marblestein. Mar- mm-hmm. Marblestein, is that what it is? Yeah, Marblestein. She, she comes in, she's like the intern, mm-hmm. and she catches mm-hmm. him stealing. And, he's, and she's mm-hmm. just like, it's so funny. She's just like, uh, if you need money, I'll loan you some money. Like, what is it? Is it alcohol? Mm-hmm. Is it gambling? Like, there's this, like, mm-hmm. very sad, funny scene where she's very mm-hmm. worried about her coworker stealing money mm-hmm. and, like, offering to help him out. There is this element. There's, they're starting to build out the characters at the office characters, where I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm starting to feel like this world exists more. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, that's that's beside the point of the plot because as as uh, as he's at the work office, another, another spontaneous combustion happens. This mm-hmm. time, a writer's French girlfriend is up on her apartment's rooftop pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as she as she sits down after swimming, she starts catching visions of the uh, apparition, like reflections of Ryder appear around her. And then, of course, she bursts into flames. Um, mm-hmm. And then a couple witnesses uh, come by and they're able to report back to the police of the worst things they've ever seen. And the guy says he was in Nam and it was far worse than anything he saw there. <laughs> I know. I was thinking, I bet it wasn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he stayed stateside in Nam. Yeah, that's now? right. He's like, I remember taking a blowtorch to a bunch of children, but that was nothing like what I've seen. <laughs> um, and this is just the, like, more people are around Ryder are dying. The police show up, obviously, interview. Kolchak shows up and gets the details, as always. And it's, it's at this point, he's obviously um, uh, very concerned that this is this is all related to Ryder. Like, everything points back to this this composer, Ryder. And He's like, I'm gonna head over to the the. I'm gonna head over and try to stop him and get some gets chat with him at at the symphony. And as he pulls up to the symphony, we get another misdirect where he sees Ryder getting in a car with the treasurer of the symphony. So there's like a little a little car following sequence where the uh, the treasurer of the symphony also bursts into flames while uh, while driving on the street. And when Kolchak gets there, Ryder's nowhere to be seen. The it's just the de- it's just the burnt out body of this man in a car, and he's just like, what's happening? So he races back. And he gets to the symphony, and Ryder's in the middle of, like, conducting a matinee, so he couldn't possibly have been in the car. So, like, they're really, like, really laying heavily into this idea of, like, are there two of him? How does he get to two places at once? That's kind of, like, the mystery is really mm-hmm. congealing into this, like, he's clearly there when people burst into flames, but also is not. Mm-hmm. And 
they kind of keep playing with this and right like i think what it is is he finally gets to he finally drops by Ryder's apartment to like interview him and Ryder lets him into the apartment he's very he's very stoic and silent but Kolchak's you know asking him questions start chatting him up and then we finally do see like like we've seen i we don't find it. we've seen it a few times but Ryder disappears and Kolchak's just like doesn't know where he's disappeared to in his own apartment building and he goes into the bedroom to look for him and the entire bedroom like bursts into flames around Kolchak and it it's really just like building this mystery of like, who is this man who keeps disappearing and also lighting things on fire as he does. I like when Kolchak's in this burning, in this burning bedroom, like the curtains are on fire, the the beds in flames, the door itself, like the door itself is somehow burning on its own. Mm-hmm. And Kolchak just like grabs the doorknob and shows himself out. Like it doesn't even seem like he tells anyone the house was on fire when he leaves. What he does is he takes his hat off and he uses his hat like as a, as a oven mitt sort of thing to grab the handle. But I like how the scene, you, you, what I thought it was going to be was, how is he going to get out of this? It's like, oh, he just opens the door. He gets yeah, out real quick. There's not much threat, actually. Kultik just shows himself out of the burning room. Yeah. He's like, all right, I'll leave that unpleasantness behind me. I really liked it for his character, too. Like, his character is not a character you can really put in a lot of threat. He's just like, no. Like, it's just like, oh, no, everything's on fire. Uh, I guess I better go before I get in trouble for them. He's not heroic at all. No, no. He's, no. He'll, he'll, he'll escape at the first chance he gets. Yeah. Um, but basically, all this, for, this is the first half of the show. It's all this weirdness around this conductor yeah. disappearing, reappearing, flames getting started up, and we get this kind of like it's kind of classic for the show now. It's a bit of it's a bit of exposition in the middle where like we only see like some of how he gets the information, but he essentially off camera he goes to visit some university academicians, and then on camera he goes to visit a gypsy named Maria, and essentially what we the audience learn is essentially this apparition that it keeps appearing is a doppelganger. This is the big reveal. It's a doppelganger. And a doppelganger is, uh, in this world, a ghost that wants to take over the body of a living person whom it envies. So this is what this ghost is, I guess. And apparently it can only take control of someone once they're asleep. So that Ryder, if he falls asleep, is going to get possessed by a ghost. And it also can only kill people when they fall asleep. So you can only get killed by a doppelganger when you're asleep. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that part because he can still light people on fire when they're awake so it's like isn't that just as effective well i think the idea is the guy was having a nap when he burst into flames and then they're they're postulating that the french girlfriend i guess fell asleep on the Mm. patio furniture but the one that i had a question about was the treasurer who was driving his car is the is the concept is he fell asleep at the wheel and burst into flames yeah it doesn't quite work sorry the the this is the first death right we're talking about it's the third remember the guy in the car who burst into flames Right, right, right. They're, they 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 set the rules up that the ghost can only kill you when you're asleep. So yeah, theoretically, everyone dies when they're asleep. But I just, I it was very funny to me the idea that's like, so so that man fell asleep at the wheel is what you were saying. I think it's he can only strangle you when you're asleep. They're like, he lights you on fire. All by the way, also he can also strangle you. It, it, I think it was I think it was a conundrum because they couldn't have the ghost just light Kolchak on fire at any moment to stop the investigations. <laughs> they needed a reason that wasn't happening. Right. Um, but. Uh, they also get some good news is apparently a, this kind of ghost cannot uh, operate, quote unquote, on sanctified ground. So uh, I guess a church is safe. haven. you can go have a nap at a church and you're fine. So just before uh, we go into that part, um, as you were saying, because in terms of the rules, um, there was that, I guess, the the poolside uh, combustion. I don't think she was asleep either, right? I think, I, I think it's a stretch to imagine she had fallen asleep. That's for sure. Right, in that period. But I guess with me, this sequence there with the um, fortune teller slash, what do you call her? Um, they, they called her a gypsy girl. The but gyp- that, yeah. She was a grown woman. Um, 
you know, um, you know, little racism uh, aside, um, I felt like this was almost it was essentially just an exposition scene that this guy didn't work for as a, as the as the investigator in this uh, in this mystery, right? It was just like, okay, we have we've already gone so far into the story. Let me just let's just do an info dump of what this is really about, absolutely, and then we can move forward. As opposed to Kolchak himself discovering all these elements, okay, figuring out that okay, based on what I have, uh, all the clues that I found. This is a doppelganger. And now that I've noticed that, blah, 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 everybody who's died was asleep or whatever. But then again, the logic falls apart because then you have all these things. Um, so I feel like that beat or that scene itself is just emblematic of not only the logic of it falling apart, but just the inactive nature of the character, uh, which doesn't really make it that interesting. It's just straight up info dump, make it easy for the main character yeah. to figure out what's happening and just proceed uh, from here, I mean, so. it's a weakness we've seen in the show is at some point when they just they realize they have so much information to get to the audience about the mystery and they don't mm-hmm. know how to do it, they'll often just bring in a character who can info dump. I mean, what I'll give it to this in the scene with this uh, woman he's meeting with who knows all this stuff. I will say that at the very least, they um, they gave her they made her a more interesting character than I expected. Like she knows Kolchak, yeah. she doesn't like Kolchak, and as yeah. Kolchak's trying to get this information, like how do you stop a doppelganger? She's like. 200 bucks. I'll go talk to my grandma. I want 200 bucks mm-hmm. though. Or right. I'm sending my karate kicking bro- brother over to kick your ass. And I, like at least, at least they mm-hmm. tried to make the character a Spice little more up. fun than we've seen before. No, for sure. To your point, Tap, I think it really is a time issue. And yeah. because you do see right before he, he sees the quote unquote gypsy, um, you yeah. have a quick, a couple quick shots under his uh, voiceover where you just see the outside of buildings. He's like, I went to talk to this parapsychologist and I talked to this scientist and you just see it real quick and it's just clearly they don't have time because they're spending so much time on other things now could that have been fixed I'm sure there's other ways around it but it is really just oh quick oh we've only have 10 minutes left in this episode um this lady will tell you everything you need to go so we can run to the end and and you felt it and I felt it as I was watching I'm like who's this fortune teller where did she come from like, is she a running character? I tried to go to IMDb to figure out I couldn't figure out anyone else she in a sense like why is she getting so much screen time um and it's not a you know recurring character so for me it kind of everything else is going flowing really well for me as i was watching this i'm like this is one of this is a very cool episode and then boom it's like oh this is bumping for me and time for an info dump with this character yeah essentially yeah yeah, she between these scenes it's just explained the rules and her final rule she explains is like to stop a doppelganger you have to get their earthly remains and spirit back together so (laughs) What Love. what a random like it's just like that's how you stop it. I'm like okay sure why not. <laughs> oh, um, good payoff. And Kolchak finally like he finally gets a chance. Like I don't think up until this point he's had much chance to talk to the real non doppelganger Ryder Bond. But he does he does corner mm-hmm. him at the symphony finally. Yeah. Ryder is like been seeing himself this apparition himself all week. He thinks he's going insane, and so he's like he's on board with the idea that he's being haunted by a ghost. It's coming to, it's coming to get him, and they they basically chat a bit. The the piano gets haunted. It starts like making its own music and jumping around. So they run away and hide at a church together. And this is kind of where they really lay out the explanation for what ha- what how this has all come together. And essentially, what they say is, and this is like both bad writing and I found to be one of the, my the funniest parts of this episode to me is they're basically like they figure out that this spirit latched onto Ryder that time he cut through a funeral procession trying to get to work in a hurry. And to me, that was the funniest inciting incident. It's just like, you cut, so off, a, you cut off a funeral 
and a really petty ghost latched onto you. I'm just like, this is very funny to me. <laughs> I like, liked it too. I, you know why? I don't think I've ever seen that sort of thing before where it's no. just like, yeah, the ghost was like, oh, you're going to cut me off, are you? Well, guess what? <laughs> Doppelganger time. What I like about it also, it's like it's, it's way more Eastern in terms of like philosophy of like um, cutting off the procession is almost akin to, you know, um, somebody who's deceased and you basically insulted them in some way, shape or form into the afterlife, right? Or you've been cursed in a way. So that Eastern concept of, of cursing, I think, was... Um, it was really interesting. As, and I guess to a certain extent, bringing in that gypsy element as well, kind of, it was kind of part of that too. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's a, it's a very unique, inciting incident to have this kind of story progress as a result of a curse that was initiated by cutting somebody off. One of my favorite things of this episode is watching the doppelganger rider peek through the window and taunt them while they're in the church. I just, mm-hmm. it made me laugh every time because he just became this like real impish sort of character who's just like, eh, I'm in the window. What about this window? You going to let me in? I did like that too. The actor who plays Ryder Bond gets to play both himself and this doppelganger. And when he's like, because he can't, the doppelganger can't come to the church, but he apparently can just hang out in the windows of the church with like flames burning behind it. And it, that actor is just chewing the scenery. Mm-hmm. He's like popping up, smiling like mm-hmm. crazy. It made me laugh every time I saw him in that window. I It was one thing, like he's like knocking on the windows trying to keep them awake. I was just like, this is... This actor is having the best time of his life playing Ghost in a Window. And I also, I like that concept. Like, you know, whatever you think, if it works with the episode or not. But it, they've established he can't come in because, you know, it's a religious ground. And so he's like, but I can come up to the window. Oh, you want to sleep in there? Well, I'm going to be as annoying as possible. I'm going to bang on the windows and make noise. I was like, I like that. That's that's a funny way around that. It, it gave the doppelganger far more personality than it had previously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What I would have liked even more is if they had um, kind of grounded the doppelganger in some corner, some form of mythology or some form of history um, or some form of culture, right? Because right now it just feels a little bit kind of disparate because, you know, you have the gypsy culture, but then you also have like the, 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 the Judeo-Christian um, mytho- mythology slash religion and you can't get into the church. So I think one way to elevate it would have been to like establish the source of this mm. kind of specter. Where is it coming from? But then again, timing, maybe. Um, but that's one of the things that I was missing. It's like you have all these disparate elements that you're kind of putting together, but then where's the linchpin? Like, where is it coming? Where is it emanating from? Yeah, um, yeah. They never really get into the, the whys as much as they could have. I mm-hmm. mean, essentially what happens is now that Kolchak knows he cut off a funeral to get this ghost latched mm-hmm. onto him, he's able to track down whose funeral it was. And, of course, it was the, it was the arsonist who the mob killed mm-hmm. at the pinball arcade. And we get a little scene where he goes to talk to the uh, arsonist's bereaved wife, who she's not that bereaved. She she seems fine mm-hmm. with it, um, and she basically explains that like, oh yeah, my husband, he was a real quiet guy. The only thing I really knew about him is he loved classical music, and sometimes I'd catch him like pretending to conduct in his bedroom by himself. <laughs> and uh, I guess that's why we're supposed to think he was so interested in like latching on to Ryder Bond in particular. Like he wants his mm-hmm. life, he wants to take it over. This is his way in the afterlife of becoming a composer, I suppose. Maybe he had unfinished business, and that's, I guess, what they're trying to imply. Mm-hmm. Although the real, the real star of that scene is as he's talking to the wife. There's the uh, the arsonist's son is walking around in the background, uh, stealing <laughs> matches and just lighting things on fire. I guess pyromania just gets passed down. Yeah. down <laughs> it's a genetic trait. <laughs> um, but this basically kind of like catches us up. Like Kolchak's figured out what the ghost is, who the ghost is. And essentially, in a few off-camera scenes, I guess he finds out via the gypsy's grandmother and that $200 how to stop it. Um, 
because he then will like basically he's like he tells writers like I know how to stop it give me give me the night and he'll go to the graveyard <laughs> dig up the corpse which I love my favorite part I did not see this coming yeah he he digs up a corpse drags it out of the grave <laughs> drives it across town in a bag to the arcade where he was murdered and there's something so grimly comic about this that I'm just like I just wish they could get, like, I wish they had the ability to go a little, like, it would have been much funnier to see, like, a really gross corpse being dragged out of a car. But you, they can't yes. quite do that in TV yet. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's a very grimly funny scene. Drags the body in front of the pinball machine he died at. Pulls it out of the bag. Like, the body's just laying in front of this pinball machine. The doppelganger arrives and is just like, Kolchak starts just, just commanding. He's like, you, <laughs> back in your body. Get back in there. Bad <laughs> ghost. Bad ghost. Back in your body. <laughs> it's it's such a weird like we they never establish exactly how he's supposed to get the body and earthly remains back together and it's just like him it. shouting at the ghost to do it and i'm just like sure why not i think you're right they didn't really explain it i think it's sort of implied that it is compelled maybe by some sort of other force that if it's there mm-hmm. and its body is there it sort of has yeah. to and he's sort of like forcing the issue i think it, it like it's gonna mm-hmm. happen whether he's yelling at it or not but it just sort of mm-hmm. you know adds to the scene it's it's fun. It's fun for Kolchak because he's such a fun character to watch. That just watching him shout at a ghost is just like it reminded me a little bit of the George C. Scott movie, The Changeling. I don't know if you've ever seen mm. that, where the where the boy's ghost is haunting the house he buys. And there's a moment late in the movie where George C. Scott's trying to like solve the mystery of what happened to the boy's body. He comes home and the ghost is just like slamming doors and like flipping on and off lights. And it's supposed to be a very scary scene. And George C. Scott just turns around and says like, "Shut up! I'm working on." It. <laughs> um but basically he gets he gets the ghost basically back into the body ending the doppelganger thing but of course before the doppelganger gets back in the body he like lights the entire arcade kolchak's in on fire so kolchak's standing in a flaming arcade yelling at a ghost to get into the body he pulls it all off the ghost is back in the body kolchak walks out of the flaming arcade into the night and a beat cop is just walking by immediately arrests Kolchak for arson. Just immediately arrested for burning down an, <laughs> burning down an arcade. And it just ends with yeah. Kolchak. Fire trucks are pulling up. The arcade at some point explodes. Like, the front window just blows out with flames. Mm-hmm. There's just, like, it's chaos. Kolchak's in the back of a police car. And it kind of ends with him being like, well, I solved that mystery. Now it's time for a nap. <laughs> I'll get Vincenzo yeah. to bail me out in the morning. But, Luke, in this episode, they at least imply that he gets to actually publish his story, which I think has only happened once or twice so far. That's, that's they don't true. say that he got it quashed at it. You know. <laughs> it was, yeah. honestly, these, these, these uh, the climaxes on Kolchak uh, can feel rushed, and I think for the most part do feel very, like, sudden and moving. I This one was good, though. Like, the flames, the expl- exploding arcade, like, I was just like, yeah, great. This is a fun ending to this episode. It's both, both dramatic and silly at the same time. Yeah. I feel like they rushed the second half of, of this episode. A hundred percent. The first the first half was great, but you know, maybe on another pass, cut elements of the first act or the first section just in terms of time and just spend a little bit more kind of fleshing out the just the rationale of everything in the second part, right? Because there's a lot of great elements here. It's just that just came out of to a certain extent of just like really rushed and came out of nowhere for me. Yeah, I think if they had brought in the woman who gave out the exposition a little earlier and made her a bit uh-huh. of a partner in the case, then you could have like uh-huh. brought out those elements over the course of it and getting to the climax. But because right. it's just like that midway point where they're like, here's all the rules yeah. now. Here's a big you info dump. Now we just have to run to the end. 
Yeah. Hey, Luke, did you notice that the uh, the grave digging scene was some reused footage from the first episode? I did. I did. I was. I think it was reused from the zombie episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you know what the thing is? It happens so fast, and I think the reason they show it so fast is because they're like, "Oh, quick, we'll use some old footage." And the telltale sign is that in that episode when Kolchak was digging the grave, there were several people there flashing the flashlights. And in this scene, he's supposed to be by himself. But if you rewatch the scene, there's like three or four flashlights still going on in the scene. So they're like, do it quick. Do it quick. No one will notice. Save us a day shooting, man. It's great. We don't have to go back. We don't have to reshoot anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's basically the two episodes. I mean, do, do you guys have any final notes? Like, Taft, was there, like, we'll rate these episodes in a second. But, like, is there anything we didn't cover on these episodes you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I guess just one thing. I mean, for me... The thing that kept bumping as I was watching every single thing, every single episode, I mean, I was entertained for sure. But the element of these are supernatural elements happening in the real world. It just felt like everyday occurrences to me. Right. Right. It didn't feel like in the way, you know, when you watch X-Files, you know, there's like a, there's a shadow world out there. Right. The truth is out there. Like we need to go and explore it. And I think in this series, it's pretty much just like there's a an aloof character who's prone to aloof activity. So everything he does is essentially untrustworthy or just, you know, embellished, right? For me, I think it would have been nice if there's an acknowledgement of these strange occurrences that are happening and it's kind of hidden and marred within this kind of um, behind this curtain. And it's his aim to try and kind of reveal this other world as opposed to just let me write the story. I got to get the story written. So for me, the missing aspect, the missing acknowledgement of this hidden world is what kind of took me away from fully being immersed uh, in it. No, that's fair. I, it's very true. Like for him, these stories are just like another, like he could be writing about anything basically. Mm-hmm. He just is excited mm-hmm. to do it. And there's never a sense that like, there's never a sense that it's hidden from, like he's just, he just stumbles into another story basically. So there's mm-hmm. no like veil that he's piercing. It's just like, hey, here's another story about a ghost this time ago. Right. Well, and there's also a sense in this show that maybe Kolchak isn't making much of a difference with his stories. Mm-hmm. You know, we mentioned it before that mostly these aren't even getting published. published. So it's yeah. kind of funny to think like, what is he actually writing? If he's mm-hmm. not getting most of these published, is he mostly just known for his weird stories that Vincenzo is giving him mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. like some scam or something? Because that's what it seems like. Yeah, it seems benign. It's like to me, if your stories aren't published, you're going to have to go tell everyone. Like you guys, I there's a real well werewolf out there you know there's there's doppelgangers there's all these things that are you know hidden from the general public but i, I feel like you know for the episodic purposes the monsters of the week i guess it's not um conducive to that kind of format the medium is the message but that's something that kind of you know took yeah. me away from fully enjoying it's a weird the, it's the a show. weird thing like you'd think he'd work for a tabloid or something but he works for a very serious paper so yeah hence none of his things ever see the light of day yeah. if he if he was part of some magazine that was all about you know paranormal activities things like that have been like okay okay at least there's we're within that world right yeah. and i will um, say i know it's the first season so they're really spending all their time and only with kolchak doing all kolchak stuff but I'll, I'll be honest like i'm not saying the werewolf episode would have been much better but like yeah. i like i would have almost rather like it was vincenzo who did take that trip and then it was like there was like a standalone episode where vincenzo had to deal with a werewolf which is like he's constantly mm-hmm. you know having to keep Kolchak stories down and like mm-hmm. he now it's his job to like take care of a werewolf like I, I just feel like maybe a few of the other characters like you know what if Updike came along for the ride because this is a thing about music right and then yeah. Updike's like you know he could be the bungling scared man of like a ghost yeah. popping up everywhere like it just feels like they could use those other characters to like yeah give some more reaction he needs a partner <laughs> wouldn't hurt wouldn't hurt 
Um, at any rate, why don't we rate these episodes? Uh, Taff, we typically do these on the IMDb uh, 10 star scale. So uh, mm-hmm. for Werewolf, I mean, and here's the thing: you don't have to. You can you can judge it any by any criteria you like. So it's sure. up to you uh, whether mm-hmm. it's just like enjoyment or like hard mm-hmm. like fact. It's up to you. So like out of but out of 10 stars, what what do you think the werewolf's worth? Okay, instead of stars, I'm gonna go with silver bullets. Nah. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I will go, um, I would go five and a half silver bullets. The only thing that's keeping me from uh, six uh, silver bullets is throwing the dummy over uh, the ledge. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that, yeah, it was entertaining. Um, I'll give it five and a half, five and a half. It's very funny. I'm also giving it five and a half, but I'm giving it that 0.5 for the dummy being thrown. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, here's the thing. It's, it's like it is one it like it feels like a retread of some of their earlier episodes it works yeah. worse than anything they've done but there's some silly elements that like i'm just like werewolf on a cruise ship just like wwe throwing people i'm like i'm like at least it's at least it's so dumb there's moments where it's funny it's just it's far from the best work they've done but do they know that it's 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 like, no i don't think they do fully know like i don't think they're fully aware of how how, how silly that's and fun it can be. be i don't think that's on purpose <laughs> yeah i love it i'm also going to give it a five and a half i think it's probably if not the weakest episode one of the weakest for all the reasons we've kind of mentioned i just didn't think it worked very well but i'm gonna give it five and a half not five and a half silver bullet bullets but uh five and a half uh gold key chains that hang around, <laughs> uh, hang around the neck Five and a half, uh, Tartar, is that his name? Mel Tartar, swinging singles, key yeah. to, like, next... That's right. <laughs> all right, well... But we all felt same about that episode. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's. Yeah. I guess that's what that episode's worth. We all agree. <laughs> yeah. What about Firefall, Taff? I think an episode we all liked better. What, what do you think What do you think of Firefall? Uh, yeah, definitely I liked it better. I will give it uh, six and a half French horns out of, <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> out of ten. Um, yeah, I think for me it was just it wouldn't have gotten to like a seven, seven point five if they maintain the same kind of consistency throughout um, into the second uh, half of the episode without getting so rushed. Um, but it kind of starting with that info dump, it just kind of took me away from it. So Fair six enough. and a half. I think. I mean, I was on board for this episode. I, I I enjoyed the mystery. I agree with. We talked about all the weaknesses and all the places it kind of fell mm-hmm. flat. Mm-hmm. None of that really like ended up taking me my enjoyment out of it. I like I mm-hmm. was I was along for the ride of this very silly episode that is both mm-hmm. like had a great mystery and then even as it sort of like got a little clunky, at least was still fun to me. Like watching the ghost mm-hmm. pop up in the window and taunt them, I, I ended up having like a far better time after watching the werewolf. I was like, oh man, this is a much <laughs> better time. Than this I'm gonna yeah. give it a full eight. Ooh, I had a great time. I had a great time Ooh. watching this episode. Nice. I'm probably closer to you, Luke. I I think it maybe was watching these back to back that I just didn't really like the werewolf episode very much. And then this felt like like it was just so refreshing to Mm -hmm. watch it. And yeah, there's problems uh, that we've all mentioned. And it's not a perfect episode. And Taff, you're right. The first half is great. Mm -hmm. And the second half is kind of okay. Mm -hmm. But I think in the end, you end up with an episode that I would give three and a half doppelgangers. So that gets (laughs) to seven. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i i'm looking forward here's what i'm happy about is i i haven't looked into the next episodes but i did like briefly scan the titles of future episodes there are no more episodes called like the mummy the mm-hmm. the frankenstein 
So there's no more episodes where we come in knowing exactly what he's fighting. This show, weirdly, you can almost tell how good the episode's going to be based on the, title. the title. It's true. As soon as it's, it's, they've abandoned the idea of just like, here is exactly the monster you're going to get this week, which I think is great. Because like, I didn't know what mm-hmm. Firefall was going to be about. And the fact that it's about a ghost doppelganger who like mm-hmm. wants to take the body of a person at envies. I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> at least that's fresh to me. Do you think a show like this, do you think a show like this, revival because i know it's been on netflix a few times but like a revival of this do you think there's a it's got a chance in this day and age with some minor updates i will tell you that they did attempt to remake this already also died (laughs) after one season i think remaking kolchak is impossible Mm -hmm. in that the show is the character and the character is that actor darren mcgavin like i Mm -hmm. like like who else there's there's a scene i think in the doppelganger episode we don't talk about it but like by the end of the episode, he's supposed to be so tired he can barely function. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, yes. his physicality, like, I think there's a scene where he gets out of a car and stumbles down a sidewalk with like full yeah. physical comedy of him being like yeah. so exhausted. And I just don't know, I don't know how you could find someone to balance like the the comedy of this character. Like this guy gets this character, I think, better than anyone mm-hmm. could. I just don't know how right, you recreate right. it without him. Yeah. Right, right. It's the old re- recasting Indiana Jones. You're like, you can't do it. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Because he, yeah, I don't know. It's just something about him and that character. Like, it's, it's too bad the show isn't very like isn't as good as it could be. Because like yeah. he, like the best part of the show is yeah. that guy playing that character. Yeah, the quality of the show doesn't meet him as a character within this actual story. Yeah, like, and it's, it's so I don't know. I mean, I guess you could try to remake it. Like, I like there's clearly some fun to be had, but I just be think it'd be so tough to find somebody who could like do the mm-hmm. kind of character this guy clearly has committed himself to, and like. Mm-hmm. watching it you can see the care he has for this character you can tell he loves this character and loves playing this character and it's just like i'm like it's i don't know who you'd find to like bring that to it bring that yeah yeah um but i'm sure at some point on the podcast we will recast the entire show and uh make our best <laughs> of it. that's a segment we'll do at some point love it at any rate i guess that about wraps up for the episode we've done it we've done a, we've done too much talking about Kolchak probably but everyone loves mm-hmm. it all the listeners are riveted i'm sure yeah uh taff thank you so much for joining us uh it was a pleasure to have you on i i, I i'm glad me. these episodes weren't too much of it i'm glad you had one you enjoyed and one you thought was uh <laughs> insane. you know i'll talk about it it's like both of them are within the world of like uh john carpenter's uh is it the was it not the thing it was the one it's with big roddy, roddy piper no it was roddy roddy piper oh like, they live kick ass and yeah that like it, it kind of has that element to it but uh you know, I'll talk about it with you in the upcoming years. So, you know, like, remember when he th- remember when that dummy was thrown over? That's what I want to do to this person right now. But that's <laughs> that's a good difference. These Sorry. things will stand out in your mind later, at least. Yeah, yeah, callbacks. Yeah. Yes, thank you, thanks, thanks so much for joining us on this uh, week. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate being here. And listener, if you have anything you want to tell us, you can email us at continuedrag at gmail.com. And of course, on Instagram and Twitter, we're gonna have. Uh, Clips from these shows, uh, people burst into flames, werewolves just doing their best wrestling moves. That's all going to be on Instagram and Twitter this week. So you can check that out at uh, Continuum Drag is the handle there. And that wraps it up for this week. Uh, Listener, thanks for joining us. Jordan, I will see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.